1: Well, what a weekend for the Rays. They sweep the Cleveland Indians. They also beat the Orioles to win their fifth straight game on Labor Day. And now they own the first spot in the American League wild card over Cleveland. And they're one and a half games over Oakland in the second wild card spot. Tommy Pham with the hot bat. Charlie Morton, of course, got his win over the weekend. Nate Lowe comes up from Durham and hits a big home run. We got lots to talk about with the Rays. And as Tommy Pham says, success is revenge. The Bucs have finalized their 53-man roster. We'll tell you about the surprises, and it's game week. Bucks 49ers at Raymond James Stadium on Sunday at 4 p.m. Tim McGraw comes on at 2. The NFL is back on Thursday night in Chicago as the Bears host the Packers. And we'll recap all the college football games. USF is rolled by Wisconsin. Florida State blows an 18-point lead and loses in Tallahassee to Boise State. Who would you rather be right now, Charlie Strong or Willie Taggart. We'll discuss all of that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Steve Versnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and services. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Hey, you have a choice of companies. Please give these people a call at 727-862- 2100 and you can take advantage of this great offer on a brand new quality train air conditioning unit or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort millionaire. All right Steve I didn't have uh, much I guess I don't know good vibes for the Rays um, coming into this this home stand especially facing the Cleveland Indians although they did manage to narrowly win one game in Houston which was not to be not to be sneezed at. I think it was, what, a 9-8 game, uh, the final game there in Houston. And uh, they needed that one to stop the bleeding. Of course, they had lost uh, about four or five in a row at that point. But they have owned the Cleveland Indians this year. And Kevin Cash, for that matter, has has owned his friend Terry Francona for a little while now. They put together what was probably their best baseball. I mean, d- defensively, they made terrific plays. They got timely hits. Uh, they, they separated when they needed to. And they got good pitching up and down. Of course, uh, you know, not the least of which was Charlie Morton, gave them about five, five and a third, five and two thirds good innings. But then you had Ryan Yarbrough, you know, come back against the Baltimore Orioles on Labor Day, and he pitched very well.
0: How about Austin some... Pruitt on Friday night? Oh, uh, where did that come from? They throw a shutout. Or actually, it was yeah. Thursday night. I'm sorry. That was, or no, that yeah. game was Friday night. Austin Pruitt with five and a third innings, four hits, no walks, no runs, six strikeouts. Nobody... Yeah, nobody saw that
1: coming. He was terrific against a really good Cleveland lineup, and, and you know they absolutely needed that. Of course, the Indians uh, at that point sort of had the lead in the first wild card. Now it's, of course, been reversed. Now Tampa Bay is in the lead. Oakland has fallen two-and-a-half games off that pace, and so – The Rays suddenly are in control, and, you know, when they flip the calendar to September, of course, they're able to expand the rosters, and this is going to give them a ton of help. And you have to wonder what it will be like when they get a couple guys back on the mound
0: like Blake Snell, maybe followed by Tyler Glasnow. Well, Glasnow may be available coming this weekend, actually. So, I mean, he could be back. He'll be back before Blake, most likely, assuming nothing goes wrong. And then Blake comes back, and you still got guys like Anthony Bonda and stuff that could come back, too. That's right, and it's all hands on deck. They can go to the bullpen, they
1: can go to it early and often and, and set up their pitching on the back end if they want to. So just the extra depth uh, right now is, is going to help their pitching staff. And I'll tell you, I was impressed with the way they played. They played complete baseball over the weekend. They, you know, they ran the bases okay, they were aggressive, they got timely hits, and they got it from the guys they needed it from, Austin Meadows, Tommy Pham, has taken over this team offensively uh, in the last uh, few days. And I'll tell you, it was – first of all, I love Tommy Pham. I love the way he plays the game. And he said a couple things after the game on, on Labor Day, after they beat the Baltimore Orioles, which was looked like it was going to be kind of an easy game for them. They were up, I think, 4-1. to one, And then, you know, um, they got in a little bit of trouble with just just the one, the one really bad inning, I guess, by Yarbrough. And the game ends up getting tied. But they went in a walk-off in ten innings, and Tommy Pham is the hero. And he had been a hero during that game. Of course, he delivered a, a two-run double in that game. Also, uh, <laughs> this this stuck with him. Literally, um, got got hit by a pitch, but also got thrown at one time. Uh, kind of, they buzzed the tower. And when Pham came up in the, you know, with two out in in the tenth inning, and delivered the game-winning hit. There was a little bit of uh, of revenge, to say the very least, in Tommy Pham and in his voice after the game when he talked about sort of just you know how ticked off he was. And they it was funny because Trisha Whitaker asked him, "Hey, what what were you thinking about? You know, when you were up there and um, you just gotten hit by a pitch, and of course he had been he had been thrown at." And he goes, "I was thinking about." Uh, how he had thrown at me, and I wanted to kill him. <laughs> well, he, thankfully he didn't do that, but he did. Uh, he he did uh, kill their chances of winning that game and delivered the big, the big hit. And and uh, G Man Choi then uh, dunked both Trisha and Tommy Pham, unfortunately, with the Gatorade bath afterwards. But it was uh, it was classic Tommy Fam. You know, when you listen to this guy talk, and the intensity that he plays with, and even after the game, I mean, those juices are still running, right? And, and he said something, you know, they asked him about, you know, he, he really made this point. He goes, look, he goes, I don't think people even in this clubhouse realize what an opportunity this is and, and just how important it is to get into the playoffs. He, he has missed the postseason a couple of years with the Cardinals. Um, of course, last year he didn't make it, you know, in Tampa Bay after he got traded, um, and they were very close, and he was a good reason why they won 90 games, especially after they picked him up. But you know what? If everybody approached every game like it was the last game, like it is do or die, like we have to win every single game this month, then you know that's that's how you get to where they want to be. And I think I think you know if his teammates were listening, um, and they could dial it up just a little bit. We're in September; they all matter. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if you win against Baltimore or Cleveland. Um, you need wins right now, and there's just not a lot of separation between these three teams. And so Tommy Pham
0: is is doing it not just with his words but also with his with his bat. Well, and he's also going to become the second Rays player, presumably, to get twenty twenty on the season. B.J. Upton's done it three yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tommy Pham's two stolen bases shy of that. It's hard to believe that it will only be the second player in franchise history to do it.
1: Yeah, that surprised me. Um, I'm not sure who I would. I mean, Carl Crawford, maybe I would have thought. Mm-hmm. You know, had a lot of stolen bases, maybe hit twenty one year. Um, you know Evan Lagoria didn't run that well so you know, but Kiermaier is is probably the one that uh, that would have jumped out at me except that he didn't play enough games every year he's always hurt you know if he played more than 100 games he'd probably do it pretty easy you know there used to be a time where 30 the 30 30 club was the big thing you know that that sort of was like a hallmark of, of the the elite players in a game and um, and and I think now of course there's more home runs there's there's more sort of approach to try to hit the hit the ball out of the park a lot and therefore there's not as much getting on base station to station base stealing types
0: you know in in baseball all that much so to get 20 steals is like a big deal now it is and let me give you some stats too in the Rays and just show you how well they've been playing of late if you remember early in the season we talked about one run games and they were really struggling Mm -hmm. they started one in seven they're now 19 and 15 in one run games not bad which means eighteen and eight. They've won seven of those games in a row, and are ten and one in their last 11 one run games. Well,
1: that's impressive because what that tells me is is that you know you you are not you know you're refusing to lose. Like you're mm-hmm. finished finding ways to win close games, and they're going to be they're always going to be in a lot of close games because their pitching and defense is going to keep them in it. And frankly, un- until really the homestand, they their bats have gone pretty quiet. Now they did score a bunch of runs. On Thursday night, when I was in Dallas, I was watching that game go back and forth, and they, they tried to give it away. They're late, but uh, they managed to get one against Houston, which I suppose, if you look at who they faced, I mean, Justin Verlander just threw a, his third no-hitter the other night. Of course, they lost to him in Houston, but you know they were able to beat uh, Zach Greinke um, at least the night that he pitched. They were able to win that game and score nine runs, so that, that was like a week's worth of runs for them, the way they had been swinging the bats, and I think – you know, in a weird way, I heard, um, I think it was Andy Freed say this, is that uh, either him or Dave were talking about how, you know, when you go to Houston and you face that staff, you know, really three Cy Young Award win, winner winning type stuff. Two of them probably have won the Cy Young Award, but um, even the middle game, you know, the guy was throwing 105 miles an hour. And then you come and you face Cleveland, which doesn't have a bad pitching staff, but like the the, the arms they face weren't as elite as the ones they just – you know, had gotten shut out by uh, you know in Houston all of a sudden it, it seems a little easier and I think that um, you know they were able to make better contact and, and relax a little bit more at the plate and they started hitting the ball all over the place and that's what they needed to do because they weren't going anywhere the way they were swinging it and now they're swinging it really good um, and you know and they got you know they get Nate low back which I think was a, a big get boy he,
0: he had a few things to say coming back it wasn't like he was all happy about being in Durham yeah his comments were kind of like you know well uh, you know they said you know did did you work on what they told you to no i just went down there and did my thing <laughs> I, i'm paraphrasing but it was <laughs> basically that was it it's like i'm i know i know i'm good enough to be here now frankly i don't
1: know why they sent me down there so i was just gonna go down there and play i mean you know when they want me back they want me back and um i do think they wanted to see a little more attention to his defense um but we all know he can hit i mean he's been able to hit you know anywhere he's been now he did deliver a big home run when he got back up here and and that was that was key but I even like that attitude you know I like that I, I kind of like the swag that he that he showed and then and then he backed it up you know by by immediately getting into the lineup and, and, and you know hitting the ball a long way so I mean everything's have sort of gone their way they are a hot baseball team when you win five in a row you start to feel it a little bit um, they've still got you know uh, more work to do against Baltimore. And and I tell you what, I mean here we are sitting at September third, and we're just not that far from from October baseball. And and how exciting would it be if the Rays could host a wild card game and then maybe win that, uh, you know, with an all hands on deck approach to the pitching staff and everything else, and then go on and, and play a series maybe against the Yankees or somebody. I mean, it would be look if I'm if I'm one of those American League East teams and I know that. Uh, you know that i've got to face a team i mean i mean look the yankees have owned the rays and i don't know who who the rays would actually play Uh, i assume that's who it would be but right now it'd be the yankees but the astros are right in
0: that mix so
1: yeah and i don't you know the astros own them as well i mean look both those teams are better right that's why they're going to win the divisions that's why they're running away with their divisions that's why they have the best records in baseball they are by far the elite and i would be shocked if either the Astros or the Yankees aren't in the World Series. I, think the, I actually think the Astros are better. I think they're the um, best team in baseball. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think they'll prove that, and they're even better still with Zach Greinke. So, I mean, you throw out the three pitchers that they can right now, I mean, it's just not even funny. Yeah, I'm not sold so, on the Yankees
0: starting pitching. No. for no, me you know, I mean, their bullpen is lights out, but their starting pitching yeah. is very hittable. And at the end of the day, when you get in the postseason, as great as
1: their lineup is, and it's a it's a good lineup over there in New York and as hot as those guys have been, in a in a short series or any series, we know postseason baseball is all about pitching. And you're you're you know, you're starting pitching and your bullpen can shut down a good lineup for a couple of days. And so I, I would definitely give the edge edge to the Astros in that one. But in so much as, you know, it's been a while since the Rays have been in the postseason, even if it's a wild card. Uh, preferably, if it's a first wild card where you get to host a game and then go on and play in a series, that would be a huge success for the Rays and Kevin Cash and what they've, you know, all the injuries they've had, all the guys on the IL, um, in and out of the lineup, coming back, lost for the season, all that stuff. You know, for them uh, with this payroll, with the way they've approached it, with with really at times just one starting pitcher and Charlie Morton and all the innings he's logged. For
0: them to get in the postseason, I think, it would be a huge success. Well, and just think of this, too. So, on Monday, they won their 81st game. So, they cannot finish with a losing record. But they right. have 23 games to go. Mm-hmm. If they go 9-14, and 14, they'll match last season's record. Right. Which and that mean, would be a huge disappointment. Well, it would be. That. But what I'm saying is, 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 is if you can assume, that, let's say, they play 500 ball the rest of the way, th- that means they're going to be at least at 92 wins. Right. You know, 92-93, which means they, and as much as we know this they're better than they were last year, you know, the record and all that should play that out. Would that would establish I mean, it, yeah. Now, you hope that, you know, 92 or 93, if that's all they get, can get you in the playoffs. It may not this year. No, but, it may not. But, I mean, that's just how good they've been this year compared to even last year is that they're ahead of yeah. that pace.
1: And if you take a two-year view of this thing and how, you know, we, we were a year or so ago, you know, in the spring – um, two springs ago saying they're tanking mm-hmm. and everybody's using a T word and I, I was picking them to lose over 100 games now you go back to back 90 plus win seasons I mean that's that's one hell of a, of a job by that front office of rebuilding this team and you know uh, the developing the players that have come up through the minor leagues the, you know and, and the mm-hmm. trades they've made and guys they developed after that like Willie Adams and others. I mean, that, you know, you you got you to gotta really respect the job that they have done over there. And, you know, it would be exciting to see postseason baseball. It's been a while. There's nothing like it. You, you know, you would hope it would extend beyond just a one-game wild card situation. But if you get if you get the home field and you get a big game at Tropicana, you can sell that place out and get it rocking. Who knows what would happen? But that, that would be something to see. And, and uh, they're in a great position to do that. They just have to finish the rest of September, and guys like Tommy Pham, with his attitude and sort of, uh, you know, I, they should start making T-shirts. You know, <laughs> success is revenge. I, I love mean, it. that's that's awesome. Why don't right? we do?
0: Why don't we do that?
1: <laughs> we might. We should. <laughs> why am I saying this out loud? Okay, nobody make those T-shirts.
0: <laughs> um, but let's do you, not do that. Talking about the two-year view, and, and Race PR put the stat out after the game. This is the 13th time in the last two seasons that the Rays have won at least five games in a row. They did it once from 2015 through 17. That's crazy, isn't it? Now, we know those weren't very good teams, and the Rays teams last year and this year are better, but 13 Mm -hmm. times the last two seasons compared to once in the three seasons prior. It's hard to do.
1: I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to do. Look, they're 23 games over 500 right now, and they've not been in this place for a while. So, you know... Don't enjoy it too much. You got to play. You got to play again tonight. But uh, actually, it's a doubleheader today.
0: Yeah, they got a doubleheader against, header against Boston for Dorian. They so they post or they move the Wednesday day game to three ten start this afternoon for a, a single admission doubleheader. So the old school doubleheaders. Mm-hmm. Buy one ticket, yeah. get two games. Love that. Love
1: that. Hope people can do it. Hope they're. Uh, you know, the kids are out of school. What better thing to do, right? Exactly. Even though. Even though Dorian's not going to threaten us per se, but they've already closed the Hillsborough, at least Hillsborough, and I think Pinellas as well. So, yes, they have. Yep. Hey, pack up the kids, take them down to the trop, and uh, let them watch two baseball games and eat a lot of cotton candy and run around there and drive you nuts. But they can at least do it someplace else and make noise for the Rays while they're at it. So that'd be a that'd be a good thing to do. Um, as far as uh, over the weekend, of course, it, this started what shortly after Thursday's game. I'm not going to go into the sort of debacle that is the fourth preseason game in Dallas um you know there were some touching moments that we already talked about on last friday's podcast um but then the cuts came and no no real surprises i mean i think we could have probably narrowed this down within uh, i don't know four or five uh selections i guess uh, as far as you know which way they would go and it's always unsettled a little bit even after they get the 53 but the biggest name to, to fall off the roster there was was probably noah spence and you know a second-round draft pick, a guy that was, you know, went to Ohio State, had some 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 problems, some drug issues, ended up at uh, Eastern Kentucky, I believe, and um, you know managed to uh, to get drafted in the second round. Had five and a half sacks as a rookie, looked like a promising outside rusher. Uh, struggled to get a little bit against the run, and then got hurt. You know, he got hurt for two years. He he you know tore up his right shoulder. Um, you know, had to have surgery. Hurt it again and uh, you know has gone from uh, thick to thin and, and, and thin again because you know, he's added weight, he's taken off weight. And everybody said that when Todd Bowles came in here and this 3-4 defense was going to be installed, that that was going to give Noah Spence his best chance because really he's a little undersized, to say the least, as a 4-3 defensive end. And In that defense, you're probably at best a designated pass rusher because, again, they're going to run the ball down your throat downhill at you all the time with tight ends, with running backs, everybody coming at you. Um, and, and yet, you know, as a stand-up outside linebacker or edge rusher, he could just go get the quarterback. You know, just go get the football, get up field, use your speed, um, you know, get off the and all that sort of thing. But he just didn't really make enough plays. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, he had some preseason games. They let him play the third preseason game. He played damn near the whole game. And he really didn't have anything to show for it. And so I, I think the coaching staff just realized that – you know, it's hard to carry a guy that doesn't give you much or anything on special teams, um, that at best is a designated pass rusher, but doesn't really do that all that well. I mean, quite frankly, they kept Devontae Bond, who is sort of an extra linebacker in a way, because, you know, remember you got guys like Deon Buchanan who can play linebacker or safety, um, you know, but, but Bond had moved outside and, and proved to be a better pass rusher, even than Noah Spence in this defense. So Noah Spence is uh, – you know, was released. He's going to have a workout, I think, with the Buffalo Bills, uh, and so you know that that was a bit of a surprise. After the roster um, was set, the Bucks did a couple of things. They they managed to actually trade with the Steelers for a player. They swapped a couple of late round picks in twenty twenty one. The Bucks are going to send their sixth round pick that year in exchange for the Steelers' seventh round pick and tackled Gerald Hawkins and. This is a guy that was really hurt. Uh, I guess the last couple of years, really, um, but he did play very, very well. If you remember back to the first preseason game against Pittsburgh, Bruce Arians even made made point of saying that, you know, he wasn't happy with the lack of pressure they got on their quarterback, and that was the day that you know nobody played for the Steelers. Roethlisberger didn't play. Um, they really didn't play any of their front line guys, um, but but you know they were able to control the line of scrimmage with a lot of their backup linemen and you know, one of those guys was Gerald Hawkins. And so he even made mention that, you know, Pittsburgh has a lot of good offensive linemen, and and that was the one team that, frankly, had too many good offensive linemen. And so rather than wait for him, you know, to uh, become a free agent, they went ahead and made that trade. And so Hawkins will be sort of a swing tackle, a guy that can back up either side, you know, whether it's Donovan Smith or DeMar Dotson. Um, So so that should help them in, in that respect. And then on, uh, I'd say it was Monday on Labor Day, uh, they went back to the waiver wire and they claimed T.J. Logan from the Arizona Cardinals. Now, this is a guy that did overlap with Bruce Arians in his last season. He's more of a return guy. He, he had uh, four kickoff returns at North Carolina for touchdowns, did a nice job uh, doing that for the Arizona Cardinals. And so, you know, he's, he's a speed guy. He runs, you know, sub-4-4. Four, four, type 40-yard dash, dude, and they had only kept three running backs to that point. I thought that's the way they were going to go until Logan became available. Maybe that's the guy they had their eye on, um, but they decided to, you know, just go with Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones and and Ogunbowale, and now you add uh, TJ Logan to the mix, but again, mostly a special teams player. Uh, and so in order to make room for
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: For him, they had to cut a guy that did make the 53-man roster initially, and that is Patrick O'Connor, who's a defensive lineman, but can also rush off the edge and actually, you know, played really, really well. And I feel bad for Patrick, although, he, you know, Things happen. Injuries happen. He may be back if he's not claimed, Um, but he did a nice job in making this football team, which is a hard, hard thing to do. Uh, And then, you know, then they went ahead and uh, after their cuts, they formed a practice squad. Mostly brought back guys that were in camp with them that they liked a lot. Um, Some of them undrafted free agents, guys like Bruce Anderson, the running back from Newsom that went to North Dakota State. He had a nice game. In Dallas the other night, uh, John Battle, the safety Emmanuel Hall, who they'd just gotten from the Chicago Bears, a wide receiver from um, Missouri, uh, Jordan Leggett, of course, a tight end, uh, Nate Truen, who's a who's a, a pretty good center, Mazzy Wilkins, the USF kid, the cornerback that came in late in training camp, made a bunch of plays. He'll get his chance to come back on the practice squad. Nick Fitzgerald, who, uh, you know, was a quarterback from Mississippi State that missed all of training camp and the preseason with a hamstring injury. He was on the non-football injury list because of a hamstring uh, that he got playing beach volleyball, of all things. He is now healthy. He's on the practice squad. He will be back this week. Terry Beckner, Jr., you know, one of the draft picks from Missouri, defensive lineman, they brought him back. Then they signed an interesting player, um, Tony Brooks James from Oregon, who's a very fast running back. And then they also signed Brad Seaton, who's an offensive lineman. They had been with the Bucks at one point and uh, could play offensive tackle. So he's off, also on the practice squad. So that's sort of what happened over uh, over the week. And, you know, they're ready to go. They, they go back to practice now today. They'll be at it this morning, I think, uh, around 10, 45, 11 o'clock. We'll have a chance to talk to Bruce Arians. There'll be an open locker room after that. And then the rest of the week is pretty much the normal schedule, Wednesday, um, we'll get uh, Bruce Arians again uh, and, and then an open locker room. Both coordinators will talk on Thursdays this year, so we'll have a chance to talk to Todd Bowles. Of course, Byron Lefwich on Thursday. Then Friday they do uh, sort of an abbreviated practice. We'll get some guys off the field, including Bruce Arians. And then um, Saturday is you know, closed to the media. They'll do their, their final preparations for the game on Sunday, and it all starts. The San Francisco 49ers, pretty good football team coming in here. They need to win. They need to have a bounce back. they got Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback. We'll talk a lot about the 49ers in those matchups. Of course, Quan Alexander comes back to Tampa. That's going to be interesting. You're going to have sort of the, the official, you know, regular season debut of Devin White. Um, if you didn't get a chance, we published uh, what was a comprehensive special section on the Bucs, 48 pages on Sunday. You can also read that online at tampabay.com. If you haven't subscribed make sure you do so. There are some really good stories, and not just because I wrote some of them, um, but this is a really good job by by everybody at the Tampa Bay Times putting this together. Um, it looks great. There's a lot of information. A story on, you know, basically whether this is going to work between Bruce Arians and Jameis Winston, a feature on Winston and where he is right now as a quarterback. Um, another story on Devin White and when it is to turn over – uh, really the defense to a 21 year old as they had turned over the, the offense to Jameis several years ago and then a profile on who Bruce Arians is you know his background and you'll be amazed at um, sort of what his life story is as well as the coaching experiences he has had um, and you know including uh, you know coaching for Bear Bryant and just the influence that uh, that that man had on his career so lots of good stuff I want you guys to have a chance to read you can uh, You know, pick those stories up if you just follow me on Twitter, NFL Stroud. There's links to them, or go to TampaBay.com, and we'll have plenty of stories for you this week, and have a chance to uh, really talk to everybody out there about uh, you know starting starting the regular season. I'm awfully glad, you know, that this hurricane, Steve. I don't know. I I mean, if you're one of these people like me that likes to watch the Weather Channel and is kind of fascinated by these things, and also just awestruck and, and scared to death and it's just a it's an absolute it's a it's an awful tragedy what's happening in the bahamas i don't know if you spend any time in the bahamas um but but this monster storm is category five literally came to a crawl to an absolute halt i've never seen one just stop i mean it was moving about eight miles an hour then five miles an hour and then it just stopped and, it, and at some point as we do this podcast it's going to begin its trek north and and Unfortunately, it's going to stay, they say, enough off the coast of Florida, about 150, 200 miles um, to where we'll, you know, the, those areas will be spared. The, the biggest you know, storm surge and the winds and things like that, although they're obviously going to get some, uh, some tropical storm warnings and, and, and maybe even some hurricane force winds. Um, but, uh, but boy, the, the Bahamas have just been absolutely decimated by, by this storm. It's just been awful.
0: Yeah, and, and and you know what's bad for the Bahamas is actually good for Florida. That stall means yeah. that all the the computer models and predictions of it making that northward turn is a good thing, but that just means yeah. you know it's even worse for the Bahamas and particularly Grand Bahama Island. and that, um, yeah. you know, if you've seen some of the video that's come out oh. already, and and you know it's we're going to see a lot worse as it goes on. It's just it's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, this this dude was uh, this one video I saw. The guy had a two story house, and the water was uh, w- was inside his his home on the second floor was coming in through the windows. You could see the waves smashing up against his windows, and and that meant he goes, "It's got to be at least a fifteen to f- to twenty foot storm surge outside." I mean, think about that. Think about being on a two story home, and you have the ocean basically as high as the the roof of your house. I mean, it just is terrifying. Um, to really consider that. But that's that's sort of what the situation is. Um, so, you know, but as far as, uh, you know, the things that, that don't really matter and compare to that, things like football, um, it's not going to affect, obviously, the, the Bucs' pre- preparations. Um, that thing will make its way up uh, the eastern seaboard. We'll see if, if it does make landfall anywhere, including in Carolina. Of course, the Bucks play um, on Thursday night in Carolina of next week, so they only have four days between their first, first you know, two games. I have two games in, you know, within within what ten days or so. So this thing is uh, going to be a story. It's going to be around with us for a while. But uh, but fortunate for the people in Florida, at least they're going to be spared the biggest brunt of that. And certainly over here on the west coast of Florida, we should be okay with respect uh, to the weather. So speaking of Dorian, you know, they moved that Florida State game, you know, from Jacksonville to Tallahassee. They they were supposed to play that uh, at night on what Saturday, Saturday night, I guess, night, and yep. then. They moved it to Saturday afternoon, noon at, at the Doak. We'll get into that in just a minute, but let's back up to Friday night. I was at Raymond James Stadium. It was a it was a delayed game there as well for weather. A lot of thunderstorms in the area, so about fifty five minute delay. Brought the girls. You know, they uh, hate to say it. Sorry, sorry, Charlie Strong. Um, they wore their Wisconsin stuff. Uh, my wife went to that school, and so she was excited to see her Badgers. You know, here in Tampa. I don't think USF was as excited, although the crowd was geeked up. It was a great atmosphere, Steve. I'm telling you, those fans were ready to go nuts. Uh, Wisconsin travels very well. Uh, I don't know what the percentage was, but it was damn near half the stadium was full of Wisconsin fans. And But, yeah, it was a good atmosphere for college football. And, unfortunately, USF went out there and absolutely laid an egg. I mean, you could not have asked for a worse night to open against a, a quality Big Ten opponent like Wisconsin, and look, there, we talked about this going in the podcast. There's no shame to losing to Wisconsin if you're USF, even at home. Um, you know, th- this is a an established program that, that very you know very regularly wins its side of the of the Big Ten, uh, and they have, for my money, the best player in college football. I know that Jalen Hurts is going to probably win the Heisman because he's going to score 150 touchdowns as he scored six the other night you know, in their first game. But, uh, you know, Jonathan Taylor is, is just a really, really outstanding runner. And he had four touchdowns in the game, a couple receiving, I think. Uh, and, you know, Wisconsin played their game. They came out. They established the run. They, they beat on you with those big 300-pound offensive linemen. Um, their quarterback situation isn't the greatest. They're going with a redshirt junior. they got a couple of good freshmen sort of behind him. But he did just enough to you know, consistently move Wisconsin down the field. And, unfortunately, I, I felt like this about the game. If Blake Barnett's receivers don't drop passes early in that game, I'm telling you it's a different game. Um, they, they dropped some critical throws on third down that, that would have gotten the crowd into it, uh, gotten USF moving, gotten their confidence going a little bit. And, and, you know, I think USF would have been competitive, but you have to execute. You know, good teams make you pay when you make those mistakes, and there were enough turnovers – Um, You know, Blake did not play a great game by any means, but I thought he got let down a little bit. They didn't use the running backs the way they should have. Those guys didn't get enough touches. It couldn't have gone worse for Kerwin Bell. You know, the whole story in the offseason, Steve, I thought was, what is Kerwin Bell going to do with this offense? Now, the defense was the disappointing part of USF a year ago in particular, but I was really looking forward to see sort of what Kerwin Bell was going to
0: do, and everything he tried was just the wrong thing. Yeah, and it's, it's really a shame. I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast, and everyone's kind of mentioned, who would you rather be, Willie Taggart or Charlie Strong right now? Because both had very disappointing losses for different reasons. I mean, USF, I don't think, was expected to win, but you didn't expect to lose 49 nothing. That's right. But I'm not willing to write off the season for USF because of a loss to Wisconsin. And, and as no, you said, I, so. I mean, you know, the receivers early on, a couple of those catches and, and they get a score early and, and maybe the whole it changes again. Yeah. Everything can yeah. change about that. Where, yeah. you know, in college, sometimes you lay stinkers. Even yep. the best teams do Ohio State last year lost really badly to Purdue. Uh, That's right. Like something like 48 to 20 or something. That's not the score, but it was close to that. And it was a, I mean, Purdue dominated that game. But Ohio State was a top five team. No question about it. Uh, Georgia a couple years ago, granted, was a good LSU team, but, I mean, got blown out. Um, That happens. And I'm not putting USF in those categories, but in college, sometimes you lay a stinker and you can come back the next week and see. Now, losing 49 to nothing is kind of demoralizing. And so it'll be really interesting how they respond next week at Georgia Tech, another Power 5 school, although not to the level of Wisconsin as far as their talent and ability at this point. But I'll be curious how they respond to that, and then I'll kind of have a better feel for how I think this season might go for USF. Yeah, they're going to have to come out
1: and and, and play well, and hope you know for their sake. Hopefully, beat Georgia Tech, which got you know beaten up pretty good by Clemson. But um, you know it's going to be a tough start to the season when you go Wisconsin and then go to Georgia Tech. But man, it, it just it just doesn't feel like this whole Charlie Strong thing is is off to a very good start. But but to be honest, to answer your question. I'd rather be Charlie Strong cuz I agree with you. I don't think that they're going to be non-competitive in the American Athletic Conference. I'm not so sure about Florida State or Willie Taggart. I don't I would not want to be Willie even though 18 million dollars is too much we know for Florida State to buy him out, so he's probably here not just this year but perhaps next. But man, you had everything going your way. You had an 18-point lead. You you know, you get the turnovers, you're getting good offensive production, you're getting touchdowns, and then you lead by 18 not once but twice, and then in the second half you get outscored, what was it, like 31-3 to or something? I mean, it was pathetic. I mean, they just absolutely couldn't close out that
0: deal. By a true freshman quarterback on the road. I mean, granted, it was supposed to be a neutral site game, but for all intents and purposes, that's that's a road game even in Jacksonville. And think about Boise now, because they came
1: down to play in Jacksonville and then had to learn that they were going to be, you know, had to bust themselves over to over to Tallahassee instead. So they made the the very long trip, and you're right. I mean, this is the high, most highly recruited quarterback that, that, you know, Boise has ever had, and yet, man, he turned out to be the real deal. Because let me tell you something, Florida State, they hit him and hit him hard early on. He got whacked, and he stood in there and stood, you know, Stared down the gun barrel and delivered some throws, and for whatever reason, Florida State just quit playing. I mean, their defense had no solution for him. Um, they look – and, and Willie Taggart. I mean, mentioned this, I guess, on his radio show that he had to go talk. He has to go, had to go talk to his trainers during the week to figure out why it was that Florida State in the second half was a team that was wearing down in the heat, but somehow Boise State was getting stronger. That's not good.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's and, and this isn't the first year for Willie Tide. This is the second year for him in this program. Right. And, right. And you don't know why your team's wearing down in the second half. It's not a good look. No, it's not. And and you know,
1: I, I think that first of all with respect to that, I mean this whole notion that teams can't come down here and it's a dis- I've always said it's not a it's not a big as disadvantage a disadvantage as you think it is for teams from, from the north or that don't don't live down here for 3 hours to come and survive whatever it is that they're going through because typically they're more hydrated when they arrive. I have always said that and I know they monitor these things and I know, you know, the bucks do it and college programs, you know, try to do a better job of hydrating these guys, but when you live in the state of Florida, when you're out and about every single day in the sun, when you're practicing down here, it may help you mentally um, to not really think about it as much because you're just you're used to being in it. You're in it every day. When you walk from your house to your car, you you know you're walking to campus, whatever. Um, you're feeling heat, but you know what? You're also exposed to the sun. You're also exposed to dehydration. And for these teams, for three hours after they've been maybe, uh, although it's hot everywhere this time of year, right in the United States, but but certainly, I would think that you know Boise might be one of the cooler cooler places right now. Um, you know, they, they just simply don't become more dehydrated during the week until you get to Saturday, all of a sudden it was Florida State that was getting the cramps on the field. Um and, and I would suspect taking IVs at halftime and things like that. And I've seen it with the Bucs, I've seen it with other teams. Um they they just don't seem to understand that the heat is not as big of an advantage as they may hope it will be. Uh and, and I credit Boise State whose motto is, you know, anytime, anywhere, uh, and they certainly proved it. They were they were the better team certainly in the second half, but just their ability to hang in there. I mean, being down 18 on the road after what they endured at Florida State is, is not a great position to be in with a freshman quarterback, and yet they were able to come back and finish the deal, and Florida State did not. And that's on Willie Taggart for not, for not knowing how to close out that game and not having his team ready to, to take advantage of that lead, whether they, they got too high in the saddle, I don't know. There was no real explanation for it. They just got beat and they got beat i mean if you turn on that game in the second half you wouldn't know you were watching the same game as as the one you saw in the first half florida state was up in a bit they were you know making plays they were creating turnovers they were running the ball they were that balance on offense it was a beautiful thing to watch and then all of a sudden uh-oh you know you got that feeling and, and willie was incapable of stopping it you know incapable of doing anything to change the momentum of that football game and they let that thing get away from them, and that that's one of those that could leave a scar. That that that's the kind, as Lovey Smith would say, that's going to leave a scar, Rick. And it and it will, and that's not good coming off the season they just had with Willie Taggart.
0: So I believe I saw State a stat fans. that uh, Florida State has only lost twice in their history when trailing by eighteen or leading by that's eighteen correct. points, both under Willie That'd Taggart. You, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean he, I mean he's in dubious land right now, and I'm telling you, not for long, because. Uh, and, and I don't wish Willie any ill will. I thought he did a hell of a job at Florida State, obviously, or USF, I'm sorry, and then you know, well enough to get the job at Oregon um, where he was having some success before Florida State came knocking, and you can't blame him for taking it. But, you know, and let's face it, he's following Jimbo Fisher, who won a national title. I mean, there's a lot of things stacked against him up there. The recruiting was uh, pretty, you know, let down to say the least the last few years under Jimbo. Uh, and so he's just now starting to build his program up. Um, but they, you know, the offensive line wasn't able to hold up the second half. I mean, you know, and not, nothing again. Boise State's a fine program, I and mean, we've we've seen them pull these upsets before. You know, and, and of course in bowl games and different things. Um, but they had no business when they were down 18, winning this football game the way they did. And so um, I would I would much rather be Charlie Strong with, as you said, a chance to you know face the conference and feel like I can be competitive in that and turn this thing around. Um, Than I would be, you know, that I would be for uh, for Willie Taggart. So tough weekend
0: for both those clubs. Well, the good thing for them is they this week they get Louisiana Monroe. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that a good thing? I don't know. Have we seen Louisiana Monroe? No, but that's true. I haven't, but <laughs> but presumably they're not as good as Boise State. Are they as good as Georgia State?
1: <laughs> Ooh. We went up and did Tennessee? How Ooh. about that? Whoa, Rocky Top. Whoa. Yeah, that was.
0: That was about the worst upset of the, of the Did year. Did you see how Tennessee Twitter went, uh, the official Vols account went silent after they took the lead, and then once they they lost the lead, they didn't tweet anymore until you know midway through Sunday. Mm.
1: Well, well, that was supposed to be the million-dollar massacre, and it turned out that Georgia State took the W and the $950,000 they were paid and said, hey, thank you very much. We're going back now. We'll see you later. Tennessee football, man, oh my, it's uh, It's an embarrassment to say the very least. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do with that? All the other teams I expected to win, they did win. Of course, uh, Alabama did their thing. Oklahoma did their thing with Alabama's old quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who scored about 21 touchdowns.
0: Um. So you know, the rest of the games I thought were kind of let down. Although that Auburn game was pretty good. Oh, the Auburn, Auburn. And Oregon. How, how about Bo Nix? Did you see the photos from was it eight nine years ago of when Auburn beat Oregon for the national championship? And he's on the he's on the first row of the seats there, celebrating with one of the players who jumped in the stands. It's
1: incredible. He's a, he's a diehard
0: it? Auburn fan. Now he's a freshman quarterback for Auburn, leading them to a comeback win over Oregon in the season opener.
1: And and with a big time throw too late in the game uh, when they needed it for a touchdown. If that guy gets tackled in bounds, I'm not sure that they can get the ball spiked and get a, get a field goal there. But uh, yeah, it was it was big time. So Gus Malzahn and him pumping you know pumping their fists. I mean it was it was great drama. That was probably the best game of the weekend
0: that I watched anyway. Well, that was the only one with two ranked teams. So. True. So the SEC kind of had an up-and-down weekend. I mean, you know, that was a good win for Auburn over a ranked mm-hmm. Oregon team. Ole Miss lost to Memphis, which Memphis right. is a decent team, but, you know, that's not that's not a good look. And, of course, the Tennessee loss. All right, well, as a matter of fact, we're going to talk some college football
1: with Matt Baker, of course our college football writer of the Tampa Bay Times, on Thursday. The race today, however, will try to uh, get that doubleheader against the Baltimore Orioles at the Trop. So, traditional doubleheader there if you're looking for something to do with the kids as they're out of school uh, today. And then the Bucs will be back at work finally in preparation for their first regular season game against the 49ers this afternoon. We'll have a chance to talk to Bruce Arians. And uh, in fact, you'll hear from Bruce Arians. Uh, If you had a chance or uh, I want you to go back onto TampaBay.com, read the story that I wrote about Arians about his upbringing, all the things he went through in his life, his coaching stops along the way, his big influences, some of the trouble he got into as a youth that has steered sort of his attitude about giving players second chances, um, you know, how he became colorblind and, and it was, you know, like the first uh, player at Virginia Tech history to room with a, have a black roommate and turn out to be Rondy Barber's uh, father. Um, Just so much fascinating stuff there. My interview with Bruce Arians, you'll hear some of that tomorrow uh, on the podcast. I think you guys will really enjoy that as well. So we got lots to talk about this week, exciting week. Of course, the NFL is back on Thursday with Thursday Night Football. The Chicago Bears hosts the Green Bay Packers. And, folks, we know that you have a choice of air conditioning companies. Uh, It is still very hot out there, and chances are you could use these folks' help. Call my friends uh, Howard and Sue Million at Millionaire. They're currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Give them a call today at 727 862 2100 to schedule service or maintenance. That's 727 862 2100 today. Trust the Masters of Comfort Millionaire. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.